it is with great joy and delight that I get to tell you that this is someone's first time in church here. Judge Taylor is in the house. So welcome, Robin, Justin, bringing your baby boy. Yeah. We are thrilled to see you guys. I'm sure it will be a long time after the service before you're able to leave because pretty much guarantee everyone will want to see you guys. Uh, Justin, they'll want to see you too. But it's, it's mainly Judge, we know that. We are thrilled to have you guys here. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the reality that you are our God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work within us. Think of Deb's song and how challenging and comforting that is at the same time to know the Spirit of God lives within us, motivates us, challenges us, convicts us of sin, also reveals the Word of God, the Word that the Spirit wrote through individuals for us. Would you please reveal that word to us now as we study it? Help us to learn more about our Savior. And because of that, help us to love him more. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Was that me or you? That one's me? Okay, I got it. Great. I love the responses that some children give when they are asked questions about their parents. For example, some kids were asked about their moms. And so one, the question that they were asked is, why did God make mothers? One response is, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. That may be true. I don't know. I hadn't thought of that one. Another one said, mostly to clean the house. Yeah, okay, I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. I'm leaving that alone. But this is my favorite one I loved. Something going on here? Oh. That is not the correct one. Well done, Kevin. Yeah. Pretty sure I had that open, but maybe not. It should be 14 through, no, no, I'm saying 21 through 34. That's the one I want. Thank you all. So this is, I'm just going to, true confession. I don't have my iPad up here because I thought, what can go wrong if I don't have my iPad? Because that thing's been causing me some consternation. And um, lesson learned. It can still not be great. So, all right. There we go. All right. Thank you for that. So back to my questions of kids to their moms. This one about why did God make mothers. This was my favorite one. To help us out of there when we were getting born. Yeah. That kid understood a lot. Another question was for some of the kids. Why did God give you the mother? Excuse me. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? One child replied, we're related. <laughs> Duh, right? <laughs> and, and another child said this, God knew she would like me a lot more than other people's moms like me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, here's the thing. Whether you are a mom or not, we've all had super busy days, right? Those days when 
You have too much to do and not nearly enough time to do it. Those days that drive you to utter exhaustion. (laughs) And some of you are like, uh, yeah, that's pretty much every day of my life. But let's just, let me just say this though. These long days, these exhausting days where you just are so worn out by the end of the day. They are nothing new and they are not simply limited to us in our modern days. Jesus also had extremely exhausting days. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one specific day that was an extremely busy day. But wow, what a day it was. Talked about this before. I feel like I'm a little loud. I'm getting echo or something back. So, I'm sorry, what? Okay. So, is that okay? You guys hear me all right? You guys want me to start over with my jokes? I'm just kidding. What do you mean, no? I tell you what, so, no. But, but the, we talked about this, Mark 10, 45. It's kind of a key verse for the Gospel of Mark. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. We're going to see him this morning truly as a servant. But on this really busy, busy day, there are two things that stand out as we observe the servant of God. First thing I want us to look at is <clears throat> Jesus' authority. I hope you're with me in Mark chapter 1. It starts out in verse 21. It says, and they, now that is Jesus and his first four disciples. We looked at that last week, how he had chosen uh, and called Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. So those four, along with Jesus, it says, went into Capernaum and immediately, let me just stop there. I'm going to point this out quite frequently as we go through this book. We've talked about this. This is one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately. Now, I will say this. If you have an NIV or a New Living Translation, they are great translations, but they kind of miss it on this verse. I don't know why they did not include that in there. I even checked the Greek text. It is definitely in the Greek text. And so, surprisingly, a little disappointingly, they don't include that in here, but... Mark uses that word, and he uses it often. I love what he does here. Look at, let's look at the verse again, the whole verse. And they, again, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, a synagogue is not the same thing as a temple. I just want to be clear on this. This is a picture of some of the the remains that are actually the synagogue in Capernaum. And some of the lower parts of the, this uh, synagogue is actually, they are confident, was in existence in Jesus' day. But the temple in Jerusalem, <clears throat> that is where te- animal sacrifices were done. Only in Jerusalem, not at synagogues. Synagogues <clears throat> were still very, <clears throat> excuse me, very important, though, Because they were local. They were local places of worship. They really began during the Babylonian captivity, if you remember your Old Testament history, when they were, the tribes of Judah were carried away. Well, they could not worship, right? Their temple was back in Jerusalem, and it had been totally destroyed. So when the Babylonian captivity started erecting these local places of worship, these synagogues. And what they would, would, a synagogue service, there would be, They would read the scriptures, they would pray, and God was worshipped. 
and then there would be a teaching. Now, typically, the services in synagogues were not led by priests, but rather they were led by laymen. And so what they would often do is they would then ask a visiting rabbi. A rabbi was just a teacher. They would ask a visiting rabbi to read the scriptures and to teach. And that's exactly what happens this day that we're looking at here in Capernaum. But it was far from an ordinary day in that synagogue, and that far from ordinary for two specific reasons. First of all, Jesus' authority was evidenced through his teaching. Verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Now that word, the ESV translation, astonished, the NIV says amazed, same idea. But it's an extremely powerful, strong word. It can even mean to strike or to hit. That's how strong this word is. And so in the tense that is used here, it literally means to be struck with astonishment, to be shocked. To put it in the modern in our modern vernacular, they were blown away at the teaching of Jesus because it was so different from what they had observed and heard from the, from the scribes. The scribes were scholars and teachers. We think of scribes as always just people who wrote, wrote things out. No, it had developed where they were also then scholars and really teachers of the law. The thing about the scribes is what they taught was things, were just things that they had heard and been taught themselves. But now, on this day, Jesus is there and he taught very differently because he taught with real authority. He taught with divine authority. And how could he not? Because he was God in human flesh. His authority came from within himself. Oh, to be a fly on the wall that day in that synagogue and to have heard what he taught them and how he said it. It's going to be one of my questions. I, I talk about this a lot. I have so many questions for people when I get to heaven. One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with at least one of these four apostles here, disciples, and I'm going to ask them about that day. I want to know why it was so startlingly different from the teachings that the other people had heard before. What did Jesus say? What was it like to hear the Son of God read the Holy Scriptures and to teach about them? Ah, oh, that would have been so amazing. I'm, I am going to ask that question. If you ever see me talking to one of those guys and you want to join in the conversation someday in heaven, feel free. But I'm, I'm going to ask that because I so want to know that. But that was not the only unique thing that happened that day in the synagogue. Because Jesus' authority was evidenced by casting out a demon. Let's look at verses 23 through 26. Follow along as I read those. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. 
And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Oh, my. I have so many questions about what we just read right there. Why was a demon-possessed man even in the synagogue that day? Had he attended other services in that synagogue? If so, why? Did, did he act normal? Did the people who were there, the other people, did they know that this, was, this man was possessed? There's just so many questions, again, that Mark doesn't tell us. The Holy Spirit did not uh, inspire him to give us any explanations about that. But I do think it's really interesting. You read through the Gospels, so we're going to see it a lot in Mark, but you read through all of the Gospels, it seems like there's a lot of demon possession going on, right? Jesus seemed to confront that quite often. I don't think that was by accident. I think that that was, the, the number of demon possessions seemed to spike at that time in history. And I think that that was probably due to the fact that Satan and his minions, they escalated their attacks on people in an effort to thwart Jesus' ministry and his purpose in coming. But just as their master Satan, as we saw it's this before, how he was defeated by Jesus during the 40 days of temptation, um, wilderness temptation, so too were all of Satan's minions defeated by the Son of God, all who opposed him. And so I tell you this with all the authority of Scripture before, his, before us, <clears throat> that the powers of hell never were and never will be able to stand against the power of our great and glorious King Jesus Christ. We do not need to fear the powers of hell. They may be strong. We don't ignore them, but we do not need to fear them because our King, our Savior, our Master, our Lord is so much greater and more powerful. I find it interesting when I read these verses here that the unclean spirit knew exactly who Jesus was and he called him out, right? Jesus of Nazareth, he said, the Holy One of God. I find it interesting that he would actually do that. The demon is bringing attention to Jesus. And and some scholars speculate that what the demon was probably doing is by naming Jesus, he was trying to exert or to take some authority over Jesus uh, in, in doing that. But, but when I read that, I think, I think of the old saying, that was like bringing a knife to a gunfight. He did not stand a chance. Since Jesus rebuked him, he rebuked him. He did it by giving him two short, very simple commands. First of all, he said, be silent. Now, again, that is a strong word. And sometimes you have to understand, we can't always just take a Greek word and use an English word to fully convey the meaning. Sometimes the, the languages are a little bit more complex in regards to that. This is a super strong word that Jesus said when he said, be silent. And none of our English versions really fully adequately, I would say, capture the severity of the word that Jesus used here. I think it's because they're trying to be proper. It literally means to stop the mouth or to be muzzled. So when Jesus said be silent, it was like, 
He could not speak. Martin Luther, the, the great German reformer, he translated this when he was doing his translation with the German equivalent of shut up. That's how strong the word was when Jesus said, be silent. And the demon had no choice. He had to command or obey the command. It was a very sharp command. And Jesus' second command was equally strong. He said, come out of him. And the demon was unable to resist. He had to obey. And it says, crying out with a loud voice. That could literally be translated as shrieking. That's the word that is used here for it. One commentator described the demon's cry here as a death wail. Think of it. It wasn't just some shout. It was a screech. Death wail. I think that's very effective way of describing it because this demon had been defeated. He was vanquished from that individual that he had been possessing. But what I really want us to see here is I want us to see the effect upon the people. Let's pick it up in verse 27. And they were all amazed. <laughs> Let me just How could they not be? What they had just seen was nothing that they had ever seen before. This man who had taught with authority, now he confronted this demon-possessed man and he had absolute control and power over that demon. So it says they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Amazing. And it, the way it affected the people, they were amazed. Second thing that we see on this really busy day in the life of our Savior is Jesus' compassion. Verse 29 and following, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Two more times, just in these verses, Mark uses the Greek word, it's youthness, it's translated as immediately. It conveys here a sense of urgency, a sense of speed. In fact, I find it interesting, he uses that word immediately, youthness, he uses it nine times just in the first chapter alone. I've told you before, in all of the rest of the New Testament, it's used 12 times. Mark uses it nine times just in the first chapter. And he uses it 40 times, 42 times throughout his entire book here. So immediately upon leaving the synagogue where Jesus had taught with authority, how Jesus, where Jesus had cast the demon out of this man, he went to the home of Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Now, just to prove, well, it's kind of to prove to you, but also it's kind of to prove to myself that I can on occasion show at least some semblance of maturity. It's not often, I understand that, but I'm, I'm doing it here. <laughs> it, it is tough, but I am going to resist the temptation to tell any mother-in-law jokes. 
basically it's because I'm a coward and I don't want to get myself in trouble. But, but I'm going to be mature. I'm not going to say anything about this. But I want to just call attention to the fact that Peter's mother-in-law, the fact that she was living with them, that tells us that she probably was a widow. That's just how it was done in that culture. Now, when we read fever, I think in a, if you're like me, in our modern medicine day, we, I don't really think it, a fever is that big of a deal. We hear about fevers all the time. But it's interesting, Luke, who was a doctor, in his account of this, he tells us that she had a high fever. And couple that with the fact that she was even unable to get out of bed, it suggests, and most scholars think that she, this was probably a very serious illness and perhaps even life-threatening. But I tell you, as I was reading and studying this, I just was, again, amazed, marveling at the way of God's sovereignty and how he orchestrates the events Everyday events in our lives, we can read this and think, oh, Jesus left the synagogue, and okay, now he went to the house, and well, there was Peter's mother-in-law, and she was sick. But there's something, I think, very significant about that. It was not just a random coincidence that she had a fever. You see, in the ancient world, many people believed that fevers were not the result of an ordinary illness, but they believed that fevers were caused by demons. I'm not saying that they were, but I'm just saying that's what people in that day believed. And they believed that a fever could only be cured by God. In fact, I found this really interesting. One rabbinic tradition taught that being healed of a fever was a greater miracle than when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were rescued from the fiery furnace back in Daniel chapter 3. You remember that account, right? The reason they say being healed of a fever is a greater miracle is because that fire that they were thrown into, that was kindled by by men. Therefore, it could have been extinguished by anyone. But a fever, that was a heavenly fire. That was something that no one could extinguish except God himself. And I think of that just coming from the synagogue where he had cast out a demon. And and what we're going to see in a few more verses here, it tells me, or at least makes me think that it's a really good chance that the reason Peter's mother-in-law had a fever and Jesus went to heal her of that was to show the people again the authority of Jesus. We read that, and I think properly so, that he was showing his authority over the illness. But for a lot of the people, they would have believed that he was showing his authority yet once again over the demonic world. So Jesus, this servant who came to serve people, he shows it once again where he's coming into the home. And the mother-in-law is sick. He takes her hand and lifts her up. And she's healed. It's amazing. And I want you to notice the end of verse 31. It says that after, after her healing, she began to serve them. Now, we read that and we think, wow, that's a little bit odd, isn't it? Shouldn't they have been serving her and taking care of her because she had been ill? You would think. But I think what this is showing us is her complete and total healing. It was so much so that she felt no residual effects of that fever. And I think it also showed her appreciation for what Jesus had done for her. 
that she got up and she wanted to serve. Busy day for Jesus. But that was not the end of that busy day. Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown. Let me, let me just pause there. That's a really important little bit of information. Because remember from verse 21, we already talked about it had been a Sabbath day. That's when Jesus went to the synagogue. On the Sabbath day, there were all kinds of restrictions upon the people. They were restricted as how far they could travel. They were restricted where they could go. They were restricted on even what they could lift. But unlike us, where midnight signals the end of one day and the start of the next, as you probably know, in the Jewish culture, that was not the case. A day went from sundown to the next sundown. So when it says here that evening at sundown, what that is telling us is that it was no longer the Sabbath. So in other words, all of the Sabbath restrictions were no longer in effect there upon the people. They could now travel more freely. They could now even carry things They could now even carry people, stretchers with people upon them because the Sabbath was over. And so here Jesus is confronted yet again with many people and their needs. Let's see what happened here. Verse 32 again. That evening at sundown, they, of course, this is all the people around the Capernaum, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Let's stop there and think about this. <laughs> Peter's house. You open the door and you look out and you see nothing but people. People with their needs. People with illnesses. People probably laying on mats or stretchers that had been carried there. People who just need the miracle of a Savior. Jesus saw them all. And I want you to notice again the words that Mark used to emphasize the magnitude, the amount of people. It says they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. In fact, the Greek tense of that verb where it says that they brought, it means that they kept bringing more and more people. And why would they not have? They had heard that here was a man who had authority. He could heal. He had authority over demons. In fact, this is just amazing here because the word had spread. Right? We saw that at the end of verse 28. It said it spread everywhere. It had spread. This Jewish rabbi who taught with authority, he also had authority over illnesses. He also had authority over demons. Think of what that must have meant for the people of Capernaum. All of those who had been sick and bedridden, now they had hope. Think about those who were oppressed or possessed by demons. They and their family members now had hope. No wonder the families and friends of those who were helpless to help themselves brought all of the sick and the oppressed to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. Did Jesus look out at the crowds and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's, it's, 
It's been a really long day, and I am so I am so tired. Come back in the morning, and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Hardly, of course not. Look at verse thirty-four. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, Jesus' compassion far exceeded his exhaustion. I love that about our Savior. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a time in your life where he is too busy to help you. There, is ne- there will never be a time in your life where he will not be there. The Savior who gave his very life and sacrifice for you will never be too tired to help you. He will never be too busy for you. He will never be distracted to help you in the midst of the crisis or the difficulty you might be facing. Think of it this way. If he loved you enough to die for you, do you really think that he doesn't love you enough to help you? Of course not. He cares. And he is powerful. And he will always be there for you. Take comfort in that. Be thrilled in your inner soul because of the fact of knowing how great your Savior is. But it's interesting. Did you catch that last sentence? Look at that again in verse 34. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Well, we're going to talk more about that in future, another time. But this, this along with what, in verse 25, when he forbid the, or forbade the, the demon to speak there, it's our first exposure to what theologians call the messianic secret. And it was Jesus' refusal to let others proclaim who he was or what he had done. Now, this was partly, I think, because the time for his full revealing it had not come yet. That would ultimately be at the cross and at the resurrection. But here at least, regarding the demons, I like the way that John Calvin put it. John Calvin says this, He refused to have, as heralds and witnesses of his divinity, those whose praise could have no other effect than to soil and injure his character. Jesus didn't want any praise. He didn't want them to say anything about what he had done. They were from hell. Jesus forbid them to even speak that. Simply put, Jesus spoke, (laughs) and because he did, they could not. That's how great our Savior is. Again, I think it shows the authority of our incredible Savior, a Savior who commanded the demons into silence, a Savior who with a touch or a word could banish illness and disease. A Savior, while being all-powerful, is also full of love and compassion. May our hearts be drawn to him this morning in praise and love and adoration and thankfulness and gratitude because that Savior who exercised all of that authority on that busy day in in Capernaum, it's the same Savior who is holding you in the very palm of his hand.
What a great Savior we have. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We hardly know how to even begin to declare your greatness. And we will never be able to do that properly. But I thank you that in our feeble attempts, you understand and you are blessed by our worship of you and our declaration that you are our great God and Savior and Lord. Thank you for all that you did for us. Thank you for all that you are doing even now in our lives. And thank you for all that you will do for us for all of eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen.